Collaborative Journal, where I spotlight the stories of how people are collectivizing to meet their needs locally and globally beyond the extractive economic system. Post-Growth Institute experiments with tangible practices, tools, and spaces to create a regenerative full-circle economy beyond capitalism. Through their research, structure, and offerings, they embody the post-growth worldview, which sees society operating better without the demand of constant economic growth. It resists an economy that is predicated on growth and depends on the over-extraction of finite natural resources and human labor. Instead, we can create new systems that puts people and the planet over profit. I speak with Director of Education Crystal Arnold about mutual aid through the offers and needs market, a space for community members to exchange their passions, knowledge, skills, resources, opportunities, and needs. She shares practices and ideology we need to evolve into a post-growth society, sliding scale versus open-ended pricing, dissolving class differences in offers and needs markets, advice for being in reciprocity on a daily basis, the importance of facilitation skills to create spaces of belonging, asset-based mapping as a tool for community resilience, and more. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really, really looking forward to this episode because the offers and needs market has been so transformational for me since I learned about it myself. Um, and the first time actually experiencing it virtually, and it was still um, very impactful. And I know that it's hard to foster deep relationships through a virtual sphere, but this is a model that does that. Um, And also this episode is a little bit unique in that instead of spotlighting a collective structure, we'll be talking about the offers and needs market as a practice of mutual aid, asset-based mapping, and gift economics. So Crystal, you are the education director at the Postgres Institute. Can you share what your role entails there? And also maybe a little bit about what the Post-Growth Institute is. Sure. Thanks, Ebony, for having me on. Um, I am, I've been the education director for five years at Post-Growth Institute, and it's a really exciting time. There's a lot of interest in what lies beyond capitalism. Right. And, and how do we stop some of these extractive processes, which are literally sucking the lifeblood out of our communities? And how do we turn towards one another and uh, share in the wealth that exists in our communities and make that visible? And so post-growth economics, uh, so my degree was in international economics in 2007. Uh, I got my bachelor's degree and then, uh, yeah, just really went 
felt like that was a history of what's gone wrong in in uh, in economics, and really gave me a sense of of seeing how our behavior is so much more complex than those simple economics uh, graphs and things. So, really, post growth economics uh, looks beyond. Uh, our obsession with growth and uh, and what lies beyond that as as far as how do we regenerate uh, local economics and uh, and how does this uh, won't get too deep into it now but how money and debt are created simultaneously and so with interest uh, being charged there is never enough money in circulation to repay the debt that exists and so there is this scarcity and competition baked into uh, capitalism and the way that that current uh, economics is un understood and how money is created. So post-growth uh, economy really frees us from this vicious cycle. It allows um, businesses, communities, and the environment to thrive uh, within the market uh, system and acknowledges the very finite limitations of of living on a planet that we really can't be in endless uh, growth. And so it's more about circulating uh, in a healthy way our resources um, within our communities. I remember economics being my least favorite subject in school because, I don't know, it felt so complicated and just like far out of reach. And I felt like I didn't really have, um, I didn't, I wasn't able to have an effect on it. So it didn't feel like something that could be a part of my everyday life until I read Small is Beautiful by E.F. Schumacher. And that's when I realized that like economics is actually just like a part of our lives. It's something that we are designing every day, what we're putting our dollars into is creating the economy what cultures are in our neighborhoods is creating the economy so I love also what you said about it being circular because post-growth is also like it's the future but it's also the past because in the past we were thinking circular things were not wasted they were just um, created into something else and even our relationships with each other were reciprocal and also circular. Um, we weren't doing things out of transaction or individualism and competition, um, but it was really for the betterment of the greater whole. And that to me is like what post-growth is. And uh, um, yeah, I love the work that you all do to really uh, not only do research on these concepts, but to like embody it through the offerings that you have. Um, and speaking of embodiment, what practices and ideologies do you feel like people need to embody in order to evolve into a post-growth society? Hmm, such a great question. Hmm, really, 
for me, the heart of it is about relating and how we relate to one another. And for me, the economy is a place where we come together to both um, meet our needs and share our offers. And that's a very different uh, framing than the extractive uh, that the goal is to make more money. And so for me, it's about how we relate to one another, how we bring out the best in our communities. And so uh, we do that through asset based approaches, which is building on the strengths that already exist. Um, people can look up asset based community development. There's a whole movement uh, and, and this is part of what we base our work on. Um, secondly, we also um, our organization runs on sociocracy, which is a decentralized governance uh, platform, which is based on consent, not consensus. Um, so when we're making decisions, it's about um, can you live with this? Not that everyone needs to think it's the best idea, which consensus has its certain strengths, but it can be uh, very time consuming. And so uh, in the way we work, it's bringing a proposal and working it with, with people and then just asking uh, for consent and if anyone has objections. So we really value that kind of decentralized, uh, non-hierarchical, model of organizing and and really having uh those pillars uh to guide us in in the work um and and for us it's not even what we're doing is amazing to revitalize communities through things like the offers and needs market to reimagine economics through things like we've done a study on credit unions and how we can get more businesses and what to move their money into credit unions um, and uh, we also have an amazing international fellowship uh, program really bringing diverse voices into this uh, arena of post-growth um, thinking um, and so it's it's not only what we're doing but it's how we're doing it and this cultural of respect and transparency um, authenticity and uh, we for instance have an anti-oppressive practice circle uh, within our organization that leads listening circles that really continually looks at how we can decolonize our thinking our actions and our way of being mm. that's so important that you pointed that out because there are a lot of like institutions that are doing research on something and like theorizing about it and maybe even prophesizing, but they're not embodying it within their own work culture and in their relationships with each other. So thank you for sharing those examples. And those are also examples that people can take into their own lives too, like practicing non-hierarchical decision-making and, um, and yeah, just putting in daily daily practices of self-reflection and maybe group reflection so that we don't continue to cause the harm that we are doing in this very uh, growth society that we're in. And you touched on a couple of the models that uh, you all offer, but I know another one is a free money day. Um, and... I'd love for you to share a, bit, a little bit about that and also just how 
you do sliding scale offerings um, to make these programs accessible and then leading into the one that we're really going to um, dive deeper into the offers and needs market. Wonderful. Yes, Free Money Day uh, has been happening. Uh, we're on our 13th year uh, this year. It's September 15th every year. Happens around the world. There's events. Um, and the simplest, uh, it, it's really to spark conversation and shift people's thinking about what money is. And so very simply, it's um, giving two uh, dollars, coins, you know, a, a certain amount, and then uh, the person receiving it uh, gives away half. That's basically the prompt. And so some people stand on, on a street corner with signs and, and basically say free money. And, and it really starts that, that conversation about generosity, how money is created, what is this anyway? It's, it's really an agreement of value and exchange. And uh, so I feel like it is very important to, to shift our, our mindset about money and, and put that into action and notice which part of that may be uncomfortable for you just imagining yourself either giving away free money or receiving it. Um, and, and so it really is like this uh, uh, really brings a lot of personal transformation and, and public awareness to to the flow of money in our uh, society. And uh, so I, I really recommend, uh, I think it's freemoneyday.org um, is the website we have for that. Um, and get involved and try it out as, as an experiment for yourself. Um, and then we also, um, oh yes, our, our policy. So, you know, we do have a no questions asked scholarship policy and each training we do we've brought about 200 over 200 people from um, around the world from over 20 different countries through our facilitator training program and uh, I've, I've heard from many people um, that that the scholarship explanation and process has brought them to tears moved them deeply one woman who registered for this training you were just in um, she said I, I read the scholarship policy and I decided to join and pay full price and she was so touched by just saying you know best what your circumstances are you don't need to prove it to us you don't need to go through a lengthy application process we trust you uh, would you like a full scholarship would you like tell us what amount you are able to pay so it's a little reframe of the um the kind of um sliding scale thing where we really are putting it in the hands and and giving our trust to the participants and people joining our program and so this has been copied by other organizations and and groups who also find that very refreshing Thank you for that reframing to leave it open-ended versus sliding scale, because with sliding scale, you're like setting parameters for people. And in the model that you all use, it's really just putting full trust into the person. Um, and that's a very different framework from what we're used to in our economic society it's like even if you have a little bit more and you want to give more maybe that option isn't given and if you don't have enough but you really really can see how this can benefit you um, you miss out on it so 
It's like, and I'm sure, well, actually, I'm not sure. I'm curious, actually, if you notice that it ends up balancing out. Like, there's always someone that's going to give more to make up for um, who isn't able to give as much. Yeah, I would say we give away significantly more scholarship money than we um, we collect in, in revenue for each training. Um, so that is something to point out is that this accessibility really makes it um, possible for people to join and not feel ashamed or less than. And most importantly, it creates a culture of generosity. We'll find that, um, gosh, almost half of the people attending the training indicated at the end that they wanted to volunteer or contribute in some way. And we had very specific uh, options for, for what ideas people um, could, could give. And so that was so beautiful, that generosity. Um, when you initiate a generosity, there's like this cycle, this, this reciprocity that then people um, feel generous. And, and uh, I think that's really beautiful as well. So it ends up balancing out, but in a different way, maybe not monetarily, but it's like keeping that circle of giving going. And it really touches on like the eight forms of capital, um, where money is just one way that we can receive, but that there's so many other ways socially, um, spiritually, culturally, like all of these ways that we can still be in reciprocity with each other. So we, we touched on that there's a facilitated training, and this is for the offers and needs market, if that wasn't clear. And I did have the privilege of just finishing that a couple of weeks ago. And honestly, at first I was like, wow, this is a long training just to learn about how to facilitate an offers and needs market. But it made so much sense as I was going through it. I was like, wow, this is really intentional and meticulous and like it touches on the aspects of being a facilitator in general and not just for an offers and needs market so I thought it was amazing and the facilitators which were you Mike and Danny they were incredible like the perfect models for facilitation um yeah it definitely left me aspiring to model what you all showed to us, which was a lot of spaciousness and opportunity for questions and group interaction um, and to really just like dig deeper into what context we would want to use the offers and needs market in. So please describe what is the offers and needs market? Yes. So uh, this process was developed, uh, gosh, over a decade ago uh, by our executive director, Donnie McClurkin. And uh, quite simply, it's usually a two-hour process, which is uh, guided community members come together. It can be virtual or in-person and basically walk them through a process of uh, reflecting on, sharing, and then connecting about first their offers and then their needs. And we really expand people's thinking about what can be shared and help people identify what passion, knowledge, skills, resources, 
um, opportunities they may want to uh, share with the group. So they go through this silent reflection process um, and, and they have these qualifiers where they can actually say, um, you know, this is something that's for free, barter, negotiable, or like a fixed uh, rate. So it is uh, distinct from some other processes and gift circles where there again we're trusting the the participants to really have have that ability to to um express what and how they're wanting to share so it's almost like speed dating you're like in a breakout room or um a small uh, round table with um four to eight people and then you go and each share an offer and like rapid fire like 15 to 30 seconds uh, around the circle and do a couple of rounds of that. And then uh, you do a similar process with needs um, and, and also with the needs speaking to the urgency of, of that. Um, and, and that can be so vulnerable for people. And so it really is, uh, some people have said afterwards, this is like uh, um, almost deep therapy uh, session where they're really able to, to gain greater, greater confidence in expressing themselves and also trust other people more is continually what we find in our, our surveys. Um, so we've been doing these for over a decade around the world. Um, it was primarily in person uh, and, and it's really scalable, whether it's three people or we've done it with over a hundred people. Um, and, and so it's just beautiful, a beautiful way to reveal the wealth in a community and even if you know people really well to like find out uh things you might not uh know or expect um and the final thing i'll say here is is also as you can imagine each person is an individual and yet we're all connected to this whole network and many circles of people so even if someone at the table directly can't met your, meet your need or doesn't need your offer uh, they often will be able to connect you with with someone else so it's a quite engaging lively process uh, which i feel really reclaims like the sacred uh, marketplace which has been at the heart of human interaction, maybe for forever. Yeah, I also think it's building trust within yourself too, like with your community, but also yourself that you have skills beyond maybe your nine to five job that you can offer people. So you're not like placed in this box, but it's really open and may and also something that I've realized is that initially when you're thinking of your offers you you might not even be thinking as expansive of what you can offer but when people start to share their needs you're like oh I can help them with that or yeah it really just um expands the possibilities of interaction um and and to me, it increases like the resiliency of a community too, because now you're mapping all of these assets beyond money. Like it's relational because when money doesn't, if, if the system fails, what do we have? We have our relationship with the earth and the relationship with people. So we, 
if we're not tapped into that, then we're not able to bounce back as easily. Um, and so the first time I had an office in needs market, which I had mentioned was virtually um, during a conference. And then I, after that, I was inspired to do one for my apartment building because I was thinking of ways that I can like create this asset-based mapping with my building but I it was really hard for me to get people together it took a long time and so I framed it as an offers and needs market and like a food potluck and so we had it on the roof and also for some context like I live in New York City and people don't connect with their neighbors there and so this was also a really transformative experience to really get a chance to get to know our neighbors and figure out how we can connect with each other beyond just this like little event, but to create a group chat with each other to like monitor the building. Um, we had like a, a package thief and we're like texting each other about that. So it really allows us to um create a safe a safer space too for each other um and also one of the things that came out of that because we had gotten like a covid deal for rent and people were saying oh we should start a tenant association so they can't raise the rent next year and so all of these beautiful things like came out of this uh interaction with my building so i highly recommend doing an office needs market with your neighbors as a way to get to know them it was a amazing icebreaker um and something that i want to do in the very near future is offer this to artists and host these offers needs market in galleries um to also bridge that connection between artists which generally is a very competitive industry it's hard to find jobs and opportunities especially as a freelancer to to be able to bridge that gap and to create a community that's consistent too because I imagine these being at least once a month um so that people can create a network between each other um and again especially in a city context where those opportunities to just like commune with each other are not very available unless it's like going out yeah yeah thank you for share sharing that there are so many ways this can be um applied you know we know people who have done it with with extended family members with uh work teams that have been working together um, you can really adapt it for any audience and it really does work great for for neighborhoods and and uh you know, I feel like we are all healing from the social isolation of, of the pandemic. And we're, this is like really a great medicine to bring us back into relationship because some of you listening may feel the social anxiety or, or the fear, or perhaps you've lost your job or been at home. Maybe you're a stay at home mom and, and you're not sure how to get back out there in the world. And maybe Craigslist is, is depressing and impersonal and there's too many scams out there. So one of the big design secrets of this is um, 
is just the face-to-face contact and and having that facilitated structure that lets people relax and and really it is quite a quite a simple thing when you think about it you know even after listening to this call you could probably talk to someone and just say hey let's share our offers and what are you needing right now and and there's always new layers like you said from listening to other people and and so this certainly works well when it's uh repeated because there's always like a a new depth or something that's emerging um so it really is building that uh rebuilding that tapestry of community which has it was already so frayed right before covid we were already seeing so much um depression isolation um so many um so much suffering and so this really feels like a um a simple and safe way for people to come back uh, into relationship and re-engage in their community That also made me think of um, how it feels to ask for something that you need. Uh, Like you were saying during the pandemic, like a lot of people have lost their jobs and have really lost the sense of community. Um, But it can be really hard for somebody to just ask an individual, I need this and and feel comfortable with that. But in the exchange of the offers and needs market, it is an exchange. And you realize that everyone has needs, no matter like what job they have, what class, what demographic, like everyone has something. Um, So I feel like that it makes it easier to be vulnerable and express your needs in that way too. Yes. Yes, I will say we have totally seen that again and again. It's breaking down these constructs and barriers uh, between people. I've seen it specifically with uh, class barriers and having people at, around the same table who, who have a, a lot of money and have contributed, um, have been uh, funders to our organization alongside with, with people who are uh, struggling with homelessness. and um, and it's I, I will say it is so different to distinguish mutual aid from charity and um, how we can decentralize those power structures uh, through processes like this and where it's not a one-way flow of of oh we go into a community to do international development and just see what the people need and then we're the saviors like actually what if we went in and and first asked oh, what what do you have you know what are you bringing to your own community and and so again and again we've seen people's assumptions about others we've seen this with the gender divide uh, we had an OANM run in Zimbabwe a few years ago uh, for a youth group and and some of the men afterwards were saying whoa I just see women in a whole new light that these women were bringing these amazing offers and I just never really thought of them in this way of being so capable and so gifted and so there is a beautiful uh, deconstruction of our of our power structures and and assumptions that that really happens through this practice yeah and i think it's also dissolving of 
the identities that we hold on to based off of what I was saying, like our day-to-day roles, like these men, they weren't able to see the woman in a different light because they just see them as like, they're the mothers, they're the one that takes care of the house and all these things, but they don't realize that they're like a full human being that has all of these other interests and skills. So I love to see that um, being brought out of people too. And so in the past couple of years, you've brought the facilitator training to a couple hundred people from 16 different countries. And I'd love to know why do you see facilitation skills to be so important? Group facilitation is um, such an often uh invisible gift to our communities. It is often overlooked um, in in its power to open individual hearts, to weave community um, for personal transformation and and for really uh, creating uh, community culture. So I feel like group facilitation, uh, the the root word of facilitation is uh, facile to make things easier. And so a good facilitator is is really creating the space with enough structure to allow this flow, to allow the emergence of the group's wisdom, to bring out the best in each individual and let them feel expressed, uh, able to express themselves. And, and, uh, and group facilitation can also uh, really be inclusive across uh, such a polarized um, world today that we really can hold people from a variety of cultures, background, different ages um, and and orientations politically to come find common ground to acknowledge their differences. And so there really is this um, this art of, of listening and responding to what's emergent uh, many of you probably know of um, Adrienne Marie Brown and her wonderful book, Emergent Strategy, and also Holding Change is her uh, more recent book, which I highly recommend. Uh, lots of facilitation wisdom in there. So it's really a beautiful way to, um, yeah, to not only... Uh, it's really a beautiful way to be with emergence. And we probably all feel this, how much change is happening in the world right now. And and how do we um, kind of get the group wisdom uh, that's that's needed to navigate these challenges? Yes, facilitation is such a gift to be able to hold space gracefully and to, yeah, to be comfortable with that, all of that will emerge out of that. Um, And like you had mentioned, there's been a lot of, you know, just like um, a lot of volatility in the past couple of years. And people have been suffering from isolation, depression, and social anxiety in this digital age that we're so much more immersed in now. Um, And it's been exasperated by the pandemic. So how do you feel like facilitation and holding space in these events 
serves to ease some of the suffering and what results you've seen? Yeah, this is so relevant probably for many of you uh, listening as as we navigate these changing times. Um, I feel like there really is a deep need for humans to feel belonging and that that really has been ruptured in a variety of ways and and with social media giving us this false sense of of belonging and 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 the ways in which we are kind of manipulated into um this black and white thinking and very emotional uh arguments of of certain sides of of um issue so i feel like facilitation and uh, maybe listeners can think back to a time when you've been in a group that like you felt good at the end of the experience some event or workshop where you felt like you belonged maybe it was a diverse crowd maybe there were a lot of differences but yet you felt safe to to be authentic and and to feel that belonging so i feel like there is a deep need for people to to come together to really um open to the humanity right and and how we're seeing each other are we seeing each other as a threat or a potential conflict or can we look at curiosity with our neighbor huh what do they need right now can we become more empathetic and actually have practices like this offers and needs market is just one experience and event but often people are transformed in the ways that they speak with people in the ways that they uh, relate and um, and actually show up with their families. Um, and so I feel like uh, facilitation, even if uh, listeners aren't like running groups or workshops, uh, maybe you facilitate within your family, organize things and, and events and um, have have ways in which you decide what you're doing this weekend with your family and, and account for everyone's needs. Um, and what I will say is one huge game changer for a lot of people who experience our workshops and trainings is silence and the use of silence and giving people time to reflect in the group process. And when we ask a question, we always say, now we're just taking 30 seconds of silence before anyone says they're ready to share. And so this really helps the introverts feel more included, those people maybe speaking English as a second language, uh, you know, people who need some more time to process for whatever reason, um, that we don't just jump into listening to someone else's perspective and never get that valuable opportunity to reflect on our own. And so I feel like this is so important. Uh, if I could offer people listening today, any gift is, is to take that silence and, and you get more and more comfortable in it at first. It, it may feel, um, strange but it actually is so so needed for people to to share silence together and and to get more comfortable with that yeah that's definitely one of the things that i appreciated the most in the office and needs market facilitation training were the spaciousness to just reflect um and i think that that also speaks to 
being non-ableist because it's not like it's not the construct that we're used to where we have to like be super prompt and answer immediately and especially in like the digital age where it feels like like everything's happening faster than you can even think um so to allow people that spaciousness and give everyone the same opportunity to respond um is so 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 integral to holding a space and making sure that everyone's voices are heard. Uh, so I'd love to hear some stories from the Offers and Needs Market that have really moved you. Uh, yes, uh, so many. It's, it's beautiful how when you ask people to get more specific, like really give me a specific need that you have, um, that it, it somehow opens to the universal, that when we stop talking in generalities and, and really challenge ourselves to, um, to get specific, that, that often others can, can relate to that. So I think it's beautiful, just the unexpected um, connections that happen. Um, I, I hear again and again uh, that people just yesterday was hearing someone uh, met a mentor who's now doing their podcast with, uh, with them, helping them with that uh, through one of these meetings. Um, I heard someone asking for like, uh, she was needing planning advice for her place in Portland, outside of Portland, Oregon. And, and someone at the table happened to know the planning commissioner, even though she lived an hour away. Um, in a different town. Uh, there really is, when we did in-person events, there were people bringing apples and uh, one woman who was an outdoor education teacher who had just the few days before had her car broken into and, and all, her laptop stolen and, and a bunch of her gear for the kids. And uh, it was just so palpable at, at her table, people just wanting to help or find out how they could donate or contribute. So there was a sense that she wasn't holding this violence and this um, tragedy uh, alone. Uh, we really saw this, um, also this beautiful outpouring of mutual aid. I live in Southern Oregon and we have wildfires each year. And in uh, September 8th of 2020, the Almeda fire ripped through the town where I live, damaging over 3,000 uh, buildings in a matter of about 12 hours. And it was really devastating um, to especially low income and uh, the Latino populations and the elderly here that were in many of the trailer parks, uh, which were destroyed. And there was such a beautiful outpouring of, of mutual aid. There were actual stations set up for uh, several months afterwards with which is things lined up for free that people could get the peanut butter, the diapers, the um, you know advice on what to do. And at each of those stations, they actually had an offers and needs board right up there of what was being offered today. And, and if there were volunteers coming, what, what else is needed? And that was such a beautiful, simple uh, way to come together uh, in, in, we are seeing more and more natural disasters. And so how do you come together and care for those, um, you know, when, when there is such uh, overwhelming need, you know, how, how do you get clear on, on how you can contribute 
and and that it often is difficult for for people to know unless it's made visible through things like these mutual aid uh, boards after the fire. So all in all, in what I've seen, there is just an underlying generosity and people want to make meaningful contributions, uh, but often just don't really know how to. That's what I love about the offers and needs market is that it's a really easy way to get community needs met um, and a way to like, again, map out those assets so that when something devastating does happen, you know who to call and you know who will show up. And that also just shows the power that we have to self-organize and that we don't necessarily need like this larger government entity to come and save us, but that we save ourselves. And um, also, I imagine this offers and needs market to be much deeper than just like an event, but it's a practice that we can uh, adapt to be in reciprocity in our daily lives. So what advice would you give to people that want to um, practice reciprocity every day? So glad you asked that question. It really is important to consider uh, that I would like to give just a moment of silence for listeners to think of, of how they might answer that as I also reflect on my answer here. So the way I've found uh, to incorporate this this culture, this way of being in my life is one, using using silence uh, before we answer something. Like uh, I have two children who are elementary school aged and and so it um, can, can be used with any age to really be asked, okay, let's all think about what we want for our next vacation or um, what do we want to give grandpa for his birthday? Um, and, and then being able to get everyone's voice heard. Um, there's really a sensing and a tuning also to our own self. You know, it can be your own practice of, wow, what am I really overflowing with and, and wanting to give on the physical um, or otherwise uh, today, really grounding it in that way. And then uh, really asking uh, also what you need. And that can be really hard for us, you know, um, especially people who are just giving a lot um, often, whether you're in the caring profession or, or a caretaker, uh, we're in that flow of giving. And so it can often be uh, powerful just to reflect on what your needs are, to take that time to write those down, to, to reach out to someone in your community who may be feeling lonely or isolated and ask them those simple questions. Could we have a conversation? And I'd love to hear what you're needing in your life right now. And, and just to provide quality listening uh, to someone is, is extremely powerful. So those are some of the ways I, I would suggest. I like that you started with a self-reflection because 
in order to figure out what you need, you also need that moment of self-reflection and to also think about who in your community might need something. You need a moment to just like sit with it. And something that Tanur Ali, who's one of the participants at the Offers and Needs Facilitation Training, said something that really resonated with me in how like the Offers and Needs market can really be used as a model, as like this post-growth model, but that isn't even a model anymore. It's just how we live our lives. And they said that sometimes we start to just see what each other's needs and attend to those needs. And then it becomes a part of life, a part of how we build relationships and communities. So it's like, for instance, in our current economic system, there's so many people with wealth and resources that are complete, like, I guess they're oblivious to everyone else's needs. But if they sat with themselves and did that self-reflection and reflected on their environment and they would see all of the ways that they can attend to the needs that people have. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely I am wary of any generalizations of, about wealth or otherwise um and and so I feel like again this is like the universal uh, you know, we talk about Max Neef's uh, universal needs and just that even some of those very wealthiest people are suffering and, and feeling isolated and, and not sure how or what to give or feeling like people are maybe using them for their money. And so um, I do want to say that. And I feel like it is also beautiful just to watch what is opened as we give space and what questions do we ask where where we can um get to see a, a bit of who someone really is right um just at a deep level so often we are identified oh i met you at a conference what do you do and and you know um oh you live in my housing development you must be x y and z class of or like by someone's uh, visual presentation or gender um so i feel like this is also part of like peeling back some of those layers of how we even identify each other and and really see beneath um what what some of our assumptions is and and often it's like surprising so it, it just really does and and maybe you've experienced some of this in in the um events you've participated in is is that there can be some surprises of, of things you wouldn't expect people would share Thank you for bringing that into the space because it's not that because someone has material resources and like financial wealth that their needs are met. And so it's also thinking about like what needs do they feel like are not being met if they feel the need like they don't have enough to share as well too. Um and yeah, and just like creating spaces and um, dialogue between those that may have financial wealth, but maybe they don't have like spiritual wealth that someone else can offer them. And so bridging that gap that 
again, dissolves like these surface level identities, but gets to like, what are our basic needs as a human? And how can we meet those no matter what uh, class we are in society? So for the last question, how can people learn more about bringing offers and needs market to their own community? Yeah, um, so we have some great resources on our website. That's offersandneeds.com. And uh, you can download a free guide that's uh, all the steps you'd need to run a small virtual offers and needs market with like 10 or fewer people just uh, in one room, Zoom room together. Um, and then we're also, uh, we'll be offering ongoing trainings um, for facilitators. You can also reach out for uh, consultation. We do that for small groups or individuals. Um, whether you have a lot of uh, facilitation experience or none at all um, through that kind of um, session or two of, of uh, consultation, you could easily have all the tools and templates and, and uh, things that you need to feel confident uh, running these events on your own. Um, and then you can find out uh, at www.postgrowth.org is our uh, institute's website. We have a great fellowship program that I really recommend uh, checking out some of that content. Um, we're a post-growth institute. It's also on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and um and if you want to listen to past episodes of my uh, podcast, that is called uh, Money-Wise Women. Um, and so that is uh, Money-Wise. Uh, that's actually at moneymetamorphosis.com. And I'll put those uh, links will all be in the write-up. Um, yeah, so this, I just encourage people, this is a really exciting, growing movement of how we are together and each experience uh, that we have of a more liberated space um, that is decolonized where we have silence and and ways to be authentic that impacts us individually it ripples out into how we are with our families in our neighborhoods and and really this is what i see uh, the potential for bringing out um, the best in humanity, letting our group wisdom guide our way forward through these, um, through the various challenges facing humanity right now, and and really letting us feel that tenderness of the truth that we need each other. We need each other. We are not islands unto ourselves. We are relationship and so this to me is is a practice of how am i in healthy relationship with others and and uh and gives us some of the skills to to bring that forth in in our communities wow thank you so so much crystal i'm not even going to say anything after that because i just want people to reflect on the nuggets of wisdom you shared at the end. I'm so grateful for this. Thank you. This podcast runs off of labors of love. There are many ways you can be in reciprocity with us. If you are or know of a collective model that aligns, let's connect so we can spotlight the story. 
share episodes, especially with your friends and family who aren't aware of collective models but are unfulfilled with this economy. You can also visit our Open Collective Foundation page in the show notes for ways to gift us in time or money. With your support, we can continue archiving the stories that aren't being elevated but are necessary for our collective elevation.